spiritual conversations for the godless. I'm Matthew Blake. And I'm Karen Thurston. Welcome to Heathen. Hi, Heathens. Hi, Heathens. (laughs) Welcome to a new episode of Heathen Podcast. Um, very excited to be here today because we have a super special guest that I've wanted to talk to for a while. Been following him online, uh, Matthias Roberts. Hi, welcome to Heathen. Hello. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. So glad you're here. Um, my very first question actually is going to be this. It's been funny to me. The past few guests we've had on have had very strong reactions to, uh, coming on a podcast called Heathen. <laughs> oh, really? Under- Interesting. Understandably so, because it's kind of a loaded word. It's a label we've chosen, but others have not yeah. chosen. Yeah, exactly. So I'm mm. just curious, how is that landing with you? How do you feel about being on a podcast called Heathen right now? <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't mind it. I think, so, and this is not to intentionally plug my own podcast right off the bat. <gasps> Please but do. Please what, plug what this podcast. word brings to mind is a conversation I had with... Um, the Reverend Dr. Yvette Flunder on Queerology, I don't know, several months ago. And she said something that has like profoundly transformed my view of the word heathen. Mm. And she says, every prophet started off as a heathen. Mm. Um, and, and heathens are the ones who are, who are kind of bringing people into prophetic truth, um, which it was heretic. It wasn't heathen. Um, let's just keep going. Relatively similar words. Um, maybe, I don't mm-hmm. know. Um, but, but I, I think, you know, it, it doesn't bother me like the heathen heretic, like, so be it. Yeah. Like I know where I sit and I, I know where my identity lies. I mean, that sounds kind of Christian-y, but like in some ways I'm like, it, it's just like, I sit where I sit, mm-hmm. and and if other people want to put those labels on me, sure, go ahead. But like, it doesn't make it true, right? So. Yes, I love it. That's <laughs> phenomenal. We, you should see Karen and I both just like set up a little taller when you yeah, said that about right. the <laughs> heathens bringing in the prophetic truth. Mm-hmm. I feel I feel very honored. Um, all right, so the thing we love to do on Heathen Podcast is just give our guests real quickly an opportunity to introduce yourself so that you get to be who you want to be on this thing and um, you know cover any bases that you'd like to people, for people to know right off the bat. So Sweet. Um, also, pronouns. I forgot to ask you. Yeah, I'm sorry. Are yours? Awesome. What are yours? I, I use he, him pronouns. Thank you. Yeah. Um, all right, so Matthias Roberts, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah. So, I mean, as you said, my name is Matthias. I, uh, primarily I'm a therapist. Uh, that, that's kind of my, my normal day job. Um, I'm super gay, um, gay queer. I use those interchangeably, but, but like I'm leaning towards the, the queer, um, more, I think in the last couple of years, just cause it, it feels a little bit more inclusive of my experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I run a podcast called Queerology. Uh, where we kind of sit at these intersections of faith and queer identity, whatever that means, and and looking at how do we actually live lives as queer people of faith. So not trying to defend ourselves, but just live, right. <laughs> you know, in the world. Mm. Uh, and then I, I write and speak. Um, I, I recently published a book called Beyond Shame, Creating a Healthy Sex Life on Your Own Terms that really looks at how do we recover from the shame and purity culture. Mm. Uh, and and that's a lot of the work that I do as a therapist as well as, as religious and sexual shame and uh, specifically with, with queer folks. So that's, that's kind of me. That's, that's my life. Sounds like a beautiful life. I love it. Yeah, good. It sounds great. Your life, yeah, lovely. It's a. It's been a long time coming to get to this point. Right, and, hard and one. It's great. I Boy. can appreciate that. I can appreciate that. Um, yeah. I have a question about your book. Um, mm. That subtitle. What is the subtitle again? Sorry, I have it right here in front of me. Creating a healthy sex life on your own terms. So, yeah. are, who are you, who is your audience? Who are you speaking to primarily? You know, so so the the book is written for folks who grew up within kind of purity culture or religious space, sexual shame. Mm. Uh, so, I mean, queer folks are definitely a sub audience of that, but but the broader audience and really who I wrote it for was for for any of us who kind of grew up within within that world that told us that we had to be ashamed of our sexuality and therefore who we are. Um, I'm so excited! Yeah. I love it because first of all. 
where do you get off as a queer person telling straight people how to have sex? <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> oh God, please do. I love it. I love it. That, that specifically the I'll audience right includes... Now, we need all the help that we can get. Mm-hmm. I, honestly... Um, I think straight people need can can benefit a lot from oh, well, God, and so much. I, I'm certainly not the person to originate that thought. You you actually had Cameron Esposito on your show recently. I saw, yeah, I freaking adore her and yeah. her. She has a bit in one of her uh, uh, shows where she talks about she she how desperately she wants straight people to have gay sex mm-hmm. and, and what yeah. that what that means uh, because of the mm-hmm. the need for communication that's like not built into queer sex that that uh you know straight people can sometimes literally just dive right in right. <laughs> and right, um, right, right. and she has just a really awesome bit about it. so i love that you're speaking to an audience that's, that's not just queer people you good mm-hmm. for you Yay. <laughs> more of that, please. Um, I do, I hope we get to talk more about the book, but first, uh, could we hear a little bit about your background, your spiritual upbringing? Um, what, what did uh, religion and spirituality look for, like for you as a kid growing up? Totally. Yeah, yeah, so I grew up, my parents were very religious by the time that I was born. Uh, and they... They converted later in their lives, like in their early 30s, from what I understand. So it wasn't always a part of their lives. But by the time that I came around, they were working at a Christian camp um, mm. in like rural Wisconsin. Mm. And uh, I was, it was I was born into this world just permeated by, by faith. And um, I always say kind of like borderline fundamentalist faith. Like we weren't quite fundamentalists, but we were, we were right there. Yeah. Uh, I think the thing that kind of kept us from being fundamentalist was a really heavy emphasis on grace uh, that that was actually kind of acted and lived out within my parents and, and their friends' lives f- for the most part, with with some exceptions. Mm. Uh, but I was I was homeschooled for religious reasons, and I like I was taught all of the you know creationism and purity culture and and conspiracy theories about <laughs> all kinds of things and <laughs> I like that that little trinity right. of things creationism purity culture and conspiracy theories conspiracy theories, theories. It's, they go hand in hand <laughs> we may have we may have already found the title for this episode right there, right there. I love it I love it oh 12 minutes that's all it took it's fine yep. yeah. yeah there that's we right. go that's- so when you say a camp like a Christian camp like like a summer camp like where kids go and and do yeah. activities it was it was a year. It was a year round year camp. Round. It was. It was a pretty pretty large uh, Christian camp slash retreat center slash. Mm. I mean, almost resort like. Like it's a really nice camp. Ooh. Like I I grew up thinking every Christian camp or every camp in general was <laughs> like the camp that I grew up at, and I had a really harsh awakening when I went to a summer camp in Iowa one year and <laughs> was like, minute. what, what, what do you mean? <laughs> like we. Where are the like luxury beds? Oh, <laughs> yes, yes, honey. I went to a camp called Camp Living Waters growing up in in uh, was it Bryson City, North Carolina, and okay. about the furthest thing from luxury you could imagine. Yeah. Although, I mean, I, some of my favorite memories are from oh, that yeah, camp. So, absolutely, summer camp is amazing. Mine regardless, were I Heavenly think. Hills and Mount Gilead. Oh, Mount, Mount Gilead. Gosh. Yeah, you like that? Like a bomb. Okay, but wait. A very important point of clarification. Like, were you growing up? like living on this camp campus or did you live off campus and your parents just came into work? We lived quite honestly, both. So we moved around a lot growing up. Uh, My parents flipped houses as like a little side Mm -hmm. hustle. Uh, And so, I mean, I think I was born on the camp, like campgrounds. They lived in like a trailer at that point. Mm -hmm. And so I grew up there. Then we moved to a house this is way more detailed than probably anyone wants to know, but we moved to a house that was like, that was like, (laughs) it was across the the lake from the camp. So my dad would literally canoe to work for his commute. Yeah. See, and then, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say you, this is my, my childhood evangelical fantasy was like living (laughs) at at church camp. So I just, I just needed to have a little moment here of like, (laughs) no, I needed the canoe and now I'm good. Those are the pieces I needed. So thank you for indulging me. It was a pretty amazing upbringing, to be to be honest. Until, like, until I started realizing that I was gay. But sure. up until that point, it was like, I mean, basically, yeah, lived at a camp. <laughs> That's not was, terrible. It was pretty cool. Yeah. 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 All right. So then, what about that? Uh, how the gay? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so then. <laughs> so the gay. Tell us. <laughs> uh, how yeah. old were you when you started to 
un- unravel I, that mystery? I think I was uh, I was around 11, 10, 11, yeah. when I started figuring it out. Uh, first glimpses were like at the library and I accidentally stumbled across the romance section <laughs> and all of these like bare chested <laughs> men. And I was like, hmm, that looks good. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. And the underwear aisles, you know, all of yeah, those things. Yeah, that's, I was, that's uh, what I was about to say for me. It was definitely yeah. the Kmart underwear aisles. <laughs> totally. <laughs> and the National yeah, Geographic's un- in our, in our school library. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> National Geographic. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> National Geographic was great. Yeah, 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 yeah. And <laughs> yeah, but so 10-11 started figuring that out. And and I don't know how I knew that it was deeply wrong mm-hmm. and not okay, but I knew it. Mm. And um, so that really started this kind of, this thing of like, this is a secret between me and God. I'm never going to tell anyone. Uh, and if I pray enough, promise enough, mm beg enough like god will make me quote unquote normal Mm. and then no one will be any wiser i'll marry a woman and have an ideal christian life Mm. and obviously that didn't happen spoiler Mm. alert um (laughs) but it it was quite the i mean my parents eventually found out when i was 15 Mm. uh we didn't i didn't do conversion therapy but my whole environment was permeated by conversion therapy yeah. mm. myths. So focus on the family and Exodus International and yeah. and all of those organizations were kind of at the height of, of their quote unquote glory at that point. And it was all my parents really had access to or wanted to have access to. So it, it reinforced this idea for me that I could change mm-hmm. uh, and that I, if I tried hard enough, I prayed enough, you know, whatever eventually my quote unquote friendship and maybe romantic attraction that I would tell my mom about towards women would turn sexual. Yeah. And, and eventually, you know, we'd, we'd celebrate that. Um, <laughs> and, and there'd be a big party. Yeah. There, yeah. We would, straight and, now. <laughs> I would make some cakes. And, yeah. <laughs> Hooray. and you'd get to, come home to this ideology right. and yeah. to this thing and that's yeah. that's mm-hmm. the that's the uh man we all want to be able to go home i think so much mm-hmm. right. that's always yeah. the thing i know what you mean about just the kind of the the conversion therapy we used to call it reparative therapy too back way right. back in the day yeah. which ugh, mm-hmm. um uh, just kind of permeated the culture i i because i didn't I, i'm kind of like you i don't i don't can't point to any specific thing in my upbringing that like the moment someone told me being gay is wrong it was just a known like factor right. <laughs> and right. um like i remember the first time i were i learned the word lesbian I, I i like used the word lesbian um and the cool guy like my best friend's older brother he was like the cool guy in our school and he yeah. he had this reaction that was just like so shame inducing that I was like, Oh, I, that I not supposed to ever use that word. I didn't, I don't know what I was saying at at that moment, but, um, it just was, yeah, it was permeated. Like this is, Mm -hmm. this is like clearly a thing we, that's taboo and we don't talk about and you're not supposed to be it and just, you know, wash your hands and stay away. Um, right. And then I, I like self enrolled in Exodus when I was 19 and like 1920. Um, I did, I still had not yet officially, come out to anyone except for like two friends in college but it was that kind of coming out that was like I struggle with you know same sex attraction you know it was not like a, a declaration of I'm I'm queer or anything like that right, right. Um, and then that led to I mean I did the Exodus thing hardcore I was mm. I was fully in went to the national conference and it was it's a world it is a world mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. one that I'm glad has you know <laughs> been on the decline and is and is um you know state governments and things like that are are starting to really pay attention and and ban conversion therapy um right so i'm looking forward to the end of that for everyone <sighs> me too yeah. i i think i mean i was um excuse me i was i think similar to you in that sense of like i went so when i finally went to college i went to like a conservative christian undergrad in arkansas i um 
literally went to the counseling center at that school asking for conversion therapy. Mm -hmm. Like that was my intake Mm -hmm. was like, I'm same sex attracted and I don't want to be anymore. Uh, And the only thing that saved me from like going directly into full on exodus mode (laughs) was somehow I got this therapist that had been working at these intersections for quite a while who wasn't, I mean, he wasn't affirming, but he at least knew that sexual orientation doesn't change. Mm. And so the first thing he said to me was, was, you know, you know, for years people have been trying to do change work and he's like, that's, it's just not really realistic. It doesn't happen Mm -hmm. aside from a miracle. Uh, so in all reality, this is probably going to be something that you'll be working with for the rest of your life. So what we're going to focus on here in therapy is how do you live as a faithful Christ follower instead of how do we change your sexual orientation? Mm -hmm. And I'd never heard that before. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It was this huge, it felt like this huge weight came off my shoulders because it felt like he had said something deeply true to me that I didn't know. Mm -hmm. Like, like this is not going to change. And my whole body kind of relaxed in the sense of, well, that makes a lot of sense. That feels like truth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, and and you that was a counselor at uh, your a Christian undergrad, you said? Yeah. I love that. Wow. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's really powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, <laughs> my experience was the girl I dated in college, her uncle was same-sex attracted but married to a woman and had was it was actually part of their their ministry they had they had a ministry where they would um you know go around i don't i i can't remember the exact words if it was like change as possible because i actually don't think he did say that he he had like his attractions had changed i think they just Mm. like promoted a life where you can choose you can choose to to do the right thing quote unquote um as opposed to um the wrong and and he was like i'll stand up as the example for that so that was that was for a long time i just felt like (laughs) i had options of celibacy or like you know figuring out how to make it work with a woman Mm. Um, totally yeah so yeah it's not not easy decisions to make Mm. especially in those mm -hmm. early stages of life right and it's such a it's so interesting to me because obviously like i've had a completely different experience growing up as a, a hetero girl um but there's so much that resonates in that, uh, that messaging that, that going around and, you know, I'm married to a woman and this is, this is how we make this work is very similar to the messaging that I received around. Uh, mm. I'm, I got into a marriage and was in a marriage for a long time with someone I wasn't sexually attracted to. And every counselor, mm. every church, every place I went to the message, I went to every place I went to <laughs> every place I went, that messaging was reinforced that, that sexual attraction is a superficial, meaningless thing that you can choose to overcome. You don't have to. That's not something that is worth valuing. It's not something that's worth living into or living toward. It's a nice bonus if you can make it work. But if you can't, then God just hasn't blessed you with that. And this is what God wants you to do. Uh, And just that devaluing of that piece of, of life in general, that piece of your personhood, that piece of your expression, that piece of love that piece of connection in life uh i think it's fascinating in the places where that feels like such an overlap to me Mm -hmm. and how pervasive Mm -hmm. that message is Mm -hmm. yeah i mean i I think i mean i think all of that has just kind of like this common root at of like we can't trust our bodies we can't trust our own selves we can't and not even trust, but but it's it's actively working against our health. Right. Like what our bodies want are actively looking working against the, the quote unquote flesh. Yeah, your body will lie evil. to you to right. lead you into right. the depths of the bowels of hell. Oh, mm-hmm. the work mm-hmm. it is to overcome the belief that <laughs> your body is is deceiving and lying to you, man. It is that's tough work. So Matthias, your what was your like your personal experience with faith like during all of this? Were you kind of well? I, I'm not going to put words in your mouth. What was it like to be to I, 
the whole relationship with Christ, the whole um, relationship to your church? Did mm-hmm. you feel like it was personal and genuine for you and something you, you wanted to explore and hang on to and, and, and keep as you were also exploring your identity sexually? Yeah, it, it, it was something that I always felt like I had a close relationship with God or at least a relationship. Like it was something that I never questioned. Mm -hmm. And I always look back on that as like, why didn't I question this? Like, (laughs) it seems like the logical thing to do. And yet I, I didn't at all. Uh, There was a sense of no matter what, I know that God loves me. Uh, And, And, you know, that untangled in, in a variety of different ways. I think it started off with this sense of like, well, I, then I have to do something in order to stay in God's good graces, um, which was the the celibacy kind of model after I learned that I couldn't change things. Uh, and, and that slowly, you know, changed over time, uh, my relationship with that. But it, it's always been, strangely, something that I haven't left. Mm this faith. Um, I left church. I I left, (laughs) I left a lot of communities uh, and I have refound a lot of communities. uh, But, but that kind of thread of, of love or or God or or Jesus, like whatever we want to kind of say it is, because I'm not entirely sure uh, has stayed with me all throughout. Um. And it's and it's weird to me, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah, like yeah, like seriously. Yep. Um, I joke about how I tried to be an atheist for about five minutes. Mm-hmm. I tried really hard. Like even <laughs> yeah. at the bottom of my deconstruction, where I was kind of in fuck all of this mode, I got to the bottom of it, and I just I wanted so badly. To, I think it's Science Mike, right, that has the thing about he's got divine eyesight, right? So he just sees mm-hmm. magic when he looks around. And yeah. I feel like that that resonated with me a lot. Because even at the, I was so mad at the thing and so uncomfortable with it. And I wanted it to be, and I still was, even at that bottom place, still just like, oh, but <laughs> the pattern and the this, that, and the other thing. And, the, and just, I think that... I don't know if I don't know if it's personality type. I don't know if it's nurture mm. or nature or what, but I think that there is a there is that craving for the divine rooted really deep in my bones mm-hmm. that is really resilient and persistent and will keep coming back for more no matter how many times yeah. I kick it, you know. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Stubborn stubborn thing <laughs> it is it is <laughs> but that's lovely i mean if there if there's yeah. god then i i would like god to be equally stubborn in god's mm. pursuit of me so yeah you know. absolutely absolutely yeah yeah it's yeah. so different um for, for everybody has a i mean it's, it sounds like your deconstruction was more around like systems and 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 the the you know um the organized part of how we all um, tried to connect to God and, and build community in that world. Cause right. for me, it very much was a, I, I did need to let God go yeah. um, mm-hmm. for, for a period for probably a long period that I'm still like navigating, frankly, like, cause I, I, I have that same, I don't know what to call it. I, 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 I do feel like with you, Karen, that there's, now I feel like there is a thing. There's mm-hmm. a, <laughs> <laughs> there's a thing. There's a thing. It's not, it's, it's not entirely me. And it also is me. And it's also in me. And it's also out there yeah. in the pretty sky and the pretty mountains. And then it's also like in, in these conversations when I'm talking to other yeah, humans and, and I don't have any you know way of how I define it, but I did have to, at some point just be like, God, I cannot deal with you right now. Like you are are too much. You're too all consuming. You're too oppressive. Um, And, and, you know, knowing that that all came from the tradition I was in and just the way that God was taught and interpreted to me, but um, it still was so enmeshed in the idea of, of a deity that I had to just get out from under that deity's thumb and, Mm -hmm. um, no, kick it for kick the habit for a while. <laughs> yeah, go cold totally. turkey on God for a little yeah. bit. <laughs> yeah, see what happens. <laughs> yeah, 
He did like the whole 30 of religion. <laughs> it's like the elimination diet version. Yeah. Like, that, okay. Uh, then uh, now we'll bring it. it, we'll reintroduce pieces slowly and see which ones make you oh throw my up gosh. and see which ones like feel good. This is kind of the perfect analogy. <laughs> I'm so into food metaphors when it comes to God lately. Christianity is a burrito. Anyway. Um, uh. <laughs> I love that. Okay. So you, you go through this and you kind of deconstruct that. We left you at college and you had mm-hmm. now, you know, decided that celibacy in order to remain in God's favor and all of those things. And how did we get from that point to the point where you released this book in mm. January? <laughs> yeah, <right? laughs> yeah. We've come a long way, baby. How did we get here? Yeah. So, you know, the, the side B, the kind of celibacy v- mantra world was, yeah, was, was what I lived in at the, uh, in, in college and, and directly out of college. Were you, were you heavily I, involved in the uh, GCN, the Gay Christian Network, which is, what is it now? Oh. N- not at, th- it's QCF now. QCF, yeah, thank Q, you. Yeah. Q Christian Fellowship now. Uh, I was just, so my junior and senior year was when I had just begun to discover GCN and Justin Lee and yeah. and that kind of world and that language of side A, the people who believe they can be in a relationship and side B, the people who believe they have to stay celibate. Mm. Like that's when I kind of discovered that language. Mm. Um, and, and it was, it was brand new to me. And I think that started informing this journey of when, so when I, when I read scripture by myself, it always felt like the sense of like celibacy feels like this big calling hmm. in the ways that the apostle Paul talks about yeah. it. Like it doesn't seem like something that's just kind of like a woohoo, I'm celibate. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. And, and yet I had all these people around me telling me like, in order to live a faithful life, you have to remain celibate. You have to choose celibacy. Like this is what Paul means that there are some people who are called to celibacy. And I kept thinking like, well then, Right after that, Paul says, like, there are people who burn with passion. And that's the one I identify with. (laughs) So. I don't feel, (laughs) I don't feel particularly called to this, to the celibacy, Mm -hmm. this gifting of, of not having, not burning with passion or or whatever. And so between my junior and senior year, I had heard these rumors of, of folks who, identify as gay and Christian. And I was like, if I'm going to choose celibacy, I need to at least figure out what all these other people believe. I need to at least see what's going on over here because it feels like a really big choice to at 19 year olds, 19 years old say, I'm never going to be in a relationship or have sex or any of these things. So that's what started. I mean, that's really what started this journey of reading theology and kind of trying to figure out where I land. And I mean, it took me a good four years to really unpack things to a point of where I felt comfortable saying like, you know, I think, I think it might be okay for me to at least try being in a relationship. Uh, it took a, it took a lot of reading to convince me and a lot of I mean, I was surrounded. There were there were no people who believed that being gay and Christian was okay. Mm-hmm. So all of my conversation partners were people who were like poking holes in arguments and and trying to convince me that what I was reading was wrong and and all of that. And so it took a long time to push through. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then eventually, eventually, I did kind of push through. But then realized like I. I want to know more than just where I'm at right now. And that's actually what led me to go to grad school and start working on a master's degree in, in theology and culture. And, um, and that was when things started becoming more constructive and more like explorative and, and trying to figure out what does faith actually mean? Like I focused my whole life on this sexuality question that I haven't thought about really anything else for, my life. <laughs> so what does it mean to be a person of faith? What does it mean to believe in God? Like all of these things, I got to start doing that work and that work was fun and exciting to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I'm kind of rambling. No, at this that's point, great. But <laughs> Just the, the figuring out of what you're for, as opposed to like having to figure yeah. out all of the pieces that you, you, you don't want, you know, all the things that right. you're, all the ways that you don't identify. And then once you figure out, what it is 
there's a whole world mm-hmm. that opens up. I think that's what we've been really kind of looking mm-hmm. at in the last couple seasons of this podcast is just that world that opens once you get done with the whole, like, this is not for me. This is not for me either. This right. is also not mine. Here's who I am. Right. And then it's that, you know, all of a sudden the world is full of things <laughs> for you to pull yeah. from and play with and lean into and become. And that's, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful place mm-hmm. to be. Mm-hmm. So you started yeah. down this path. Yeah, so I went to went to grad school, knew that I wanted to do work in kind of a more formal setting. Like I wanted to set aside, you know, a couple of years to actually really explore these questions. And so started working on, on a degree in theology and then stumbled across a degree in, in counseling as well. Uh, and it was in there that those those questions about what does what what even is sexuality and what does does sex what is sex mm-hmm. uh, and and what does it mean to be sexual beings and and looking at this really rich tradition within Christianity of of like eros of of sexual energy being tied into the very core of who we are as people and you know church fathers writing that that sexual energy is divine energy mm-hmm. um, and and realizing like wait a second if if this is even within my tradition that who we are are sexual beings. Uh, then what does that, what does that mean for our theological systems? And what does that mean around purity culture and what I've been taught about sex and sexuality? And, and that's kind of alongside of other things, my own questions about what even is a sex life uh, that led me into what eventually became this book beyond shame. Hmm. I love that question too, because that I think calls back to Cameron Esposito's everyone Mm. should have lesbian sex sort of thing, Mm. because that's Mm. a question that I could have genuinely gone my whole life and never asked, what does the term sex life actually mean? Because sex life was so very clearly defined for me as, you know, inside of a marriage relationship missionary position, you make a baby, like that's it. (laughs) That's, that's sex life. right? Right. And Again, just the openness in, what do those words mean? What do they mean to you specifically? And if they can mean anything, if they can mean lots of different things, what does healthy mean? It's such a beautiful question and such a hard Mm -hmm. one to get the guts to ask, I think. Right, right. And the whole concept of, I mean, the first part of your title, the beyond shame piece, like (laughs) we're, it's not even just our, um, you know, uh, heavily fundamentalist, like evangelical upbringings that where shame is, um, such a heavy factor. Like that's just like, that's in America. That's like sewed into so much of our upbringing. And then it gets really confusing because as we, as we grow up and mature and see sex symbols on TV and in music and we have these very conflicting messages (laughs) of like, it's okay to, you know, like there is a, there's an expectation almost that you um, be sexy in some scenarios, but then like also it's, there's so much shame wrapped up in it and how I, without, you know, giving away any punchlines to your book, is there anything that you can point to that you've kind of get, you kind of learned and and wrote about the shame piece and how we do Mm -hmm. actually go beyond it um, in order to even consider having a sex life? Totally. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I kind of started with these two, with these two assumptions. Um, one I've kind of already mentioned here is, is this sense of sexuality exists at the very core parts of who we are. Mm. Um, whether that's, whether that's sexuality itself or asexuality, right? Because, mm-hmm. because those, I mean, they're different experiences, but, but they're identif- identity construing spaces, mm-hmm. right? They, they're, they tell us who we are as people and how we relate to other people. Uh, and, and so that is one core assumption. Another one is that shame targets us at the very core of our identities as well. It's the messages of I am bad, I am wrong, I'm dirt, like all of those things. As opposed to guilt, which is I have done something bad, I've done something dirty, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. So those two core assumptions, sexuality exists at the core of, we are, core of who we are, shame hits us at the core of who we are. And when those two things get combined, um, it's, it's a particularly nasty recipe. Uh, and that 
I really believe that none of us really get away from. Like on the back of my book, it says right up on top, we all experience sexual shame. I I believe that. I think there are very few people in this world who have not had experiences with sexual shame. Mm. Um, And so in order to start moving beyond that, I think the first step is to just really identify the shape that our shame takes. Uh, and, And in the book, I, I talk about three coping mechanisms that that I think most people fall into. Mm-hmm. Um, they're they're very fluid. They're not really kind of like a typing thing, but as but as a this is kind of the directions that that shame takes. And and I, I'm happy to talk about what those are. But I but I really think you know, once we identify kind of where we are on that spectrum, that gives us some ground to start working with to start asking questions of our shame asking questions of ourselves of of what's actually behind this so that we can find true grounding uh we can determine what our values actually are which will then lead us into a life of of flourishing and abundance and and truly moving beyond shame about figuring out what our values are <laughs> it's such a that's the work yeah. for someone who's raised in such you know <laughs> values driven culture right. that that is that doesn't align with any facet of like what our actual lived experience is yeah. <laughs> like mm-hmm. uh, to, mm-hmm. to sift through those values and then figure out what we actually want and and what feels right and good for us because it's so easy i think to just do a 180 entirely and 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 run very far away from any sense of value and then and then you know you're just kind of like out in a world engaging in whatever kind of um not even just sexual practices but but as part of it sexual practices that may or may not be actually that good for us um right but we haven't established any we haven't we haven't done that work yet to figure out totally um what's what's going to be helpful for us personally so yeah yeah and that's i mean what you just described just described like that's one of the coping mechanisms <laughs> like ah. there's the, the the first one is is shamefulness is, is where we let our shame control our sexuality um which is kind of purity culture and what i at least i was taught growing up is is we use shame to control ourselves the, the flip side of that is shamelessness and and that's mm. that switch that kind of gets thrown of where we use our sexuality to control our shame mm. uh, oh, and wow. yeah. we we kind of go off we, we may be trying to figure out what our values are and our actions may not actually change that much once we've figured out our values but like you just said we haven't actually dealt with the shame that's underneath mm. we're running away from our shame um, and, and avoiding it through sexuality um, we haven't done the work needed to actually live in a grounded kind of values-based ethic. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Um, I love yeah. that using our sexuality control our shame thing. That's mm-hmm. it's fascinating. I also feel like you don't get a lot of enneagram twos and threes in that that realm. <laughs> Easy. <laughs> We're all like, nope, nope, shame. We got it. We're here. <laughs> right, right. We're just gonna stay here. We'll just be here in the shame. It's fine. Yep. Shameless. What is that? What is that? Right. Sounds fun. <laughs> sounds, <laughs> sounds nice. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely uh, that's definitely eight territory. Sounds like it plays well at parties. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh man, yeah. I feel like the question that I want to ask you, and I, I, I I'm going to word this sort of awkwardly, I think, because I haven't fully formed it yet. But as you're Sweet. as we're talking about this, one of the things with Heathen, we've talked to so many people about their deconstruction stories that there are these. Mm commonalities and these patterns obviously everyone is different and unique and everyone is a a snowflake you're all special everyone is special out there you hear me you're special but (laughs) and um there's a a pattern to this story and when we hear it repeated it so frequently feels like people are are hesitant to say because they think they're the only one who's thought this thing i'm the only one who's Mm -hmm. had this feeling and then we're like no everyone that we've talked to that's gone through this story has had this feeling. And I'm curious, Mm -hmm. having, you know, lived in this story and studied it and talked to people about it, I'm assuming, and, and, you know, done the research needed, what are those 
what are those patterns and echoes and, and commonalities that you see in people? Like, what are those, those feelings that the shame, the things the shame says that feel so hard to us that you, when you hear them from someone, you go, yeah, you and everybody else, kid, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm, that's, that's a really good question. Um, Right. That seems there seems to be really a lot of commonality on, especially for folks who are leaving purity culture on this kind of journey of, like I said, the the shamefulness to the shamelessness mm-hmm. that like switch being thrown and that like kind of fuck it all yeah um, is is a huge one which is not a bad thing right right um, and I mean that's huge but it, but another one is is then the learning to trust our bodies, the learning to trust our intuition, the learning to kind of step into these places of where, where we may not know, but our bodies are telling us one thing. And, and how do we kindly work with ourselves mm-hmm. uh, in those places? Like I think so many of us have been taught, like we were talking about earlier that, that our bodies are just kind of here. Um, but our, but our bodies carry, so much intuition so much goodness so much knowledge within them that a lot of us have to learn how to discover and it's a terrifying thing Mm. oh yes yeah so kind of that feeling of like i don't know what i want i don't know what i like i don't know what what feels good necessarily Mm -hmm. because i don't Mm -hmm. know how to listen right so to even learn how to how to let ourselves begin to trust ourselves to explore yeah (laughs) that's my favorite part (laughs) of the Mm. coming back home what we were talking Mm. about finding out finding our home like uh, and I think part of why I've maybe delayed on the whole idea of figuring out if I ever want to name God again uh, Mm -hmm. because I've just been so like enamored with the idea that that intuition is a sacred thing in and and of itself um, because, you know, it's just hammered so, so heavily into me over the years that, you know, the heart is deceitful above, above all things. Like I, I, I just could never, and, and specifically to, for for me, it was uh, just a message in my family because I am the like lone Enneagram eight in my, in my family who just would have these like, impulses to to scream out against you know to rage against the stuff that was not serving me or my parents or my siblings or our our entire community and and anytime I'd get even just an inch out of line uh, when it came to that kind of stuff it was just so hard like like I was just pushed back down and no 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 that absolutely not that is your rebellion that's your pride that's your sin and that is right. your that is your task in life to, is to control and conquer that, and um, so I've now lost my train of thought. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh, the intu- coming back, so, so coming back <laughs> your to favorite our part. intuition. Yeah, my favorite part is learning that. Right. Yeah, I, I I definitely have some pride issues. Yes, I definitely have like a rebellious streak in me. Yes, but also <laughs> the those impulses are not by default wrong and bad and 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 sin those are mm-hmm. that's that is my intuition that is my body speaking mm-hmm. out and crying out and saying whoa like rein right. it in like this this oppressive way of being is not good for me and um i'm gonna you know get your attention one way or another and um mm-hmm. so that's just been i've just been enamored with that process and that <laughs> that work uh so someday you know i think i i do want to maybe look at look at whatever it got as an external, I guess, um, as opposed to just what the divine in me that I'm just so very mm-hmm. much, um, I don't know, intrigued by, but mm-hmm. I just, I love that process. Intuition is mm-hmm. like my favorite freaking word. <laughs> right. Right. It's a, it's a really beautiful process. And there's, I, I think, I mean, as you were saying that, like I started bringing to mind all the people that I've worked with who, it's a it's a truly terrifying mm-hmm. thing. Um, I, I think uh, there's a there's a researcher and, and author uh, Linda K. Klein who wrote a book called Pure. Uh, in the subtitles, inside the evangelical movement that shamed a generation of young women and how I broke free. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in that book, 
she presents a lot of the research around, especially for women who are raised with impurity culture, the PTSD symptoms mm -hmm. and the, the actual trauma that, um, that primarily women, but, but also I would argue queer folks and, and some men, um, we live with daily because I mean, it was truly trauma to have to split ourselves off from our bodies. Yeah. Uh, and so when you're in that place to even begin to listen to your body and trust that the, like these panic attacks mm -hmm. <laughs> or um, the anxiety that you may get around sex and sexuality, like that may actually be your body protecting you and it may actually be a good thing. Mm -hmm. um, and then having to then start to untangle all of those things. <laughs> yeah. That's not fun, right? Oh. Like, so there's the fun part of the intuition. <laughs> there's also the not fun, the part, not fun of, part of of all of the trauma that some of us have have endured yeah. um, in those spaces. Yeah, and it's long work. It is long, right. long work, and that's the every time I everything that you just said resonates with me mm. deeply, and just that it's actually one of the first times I've heard it. Uh, as like a PTSD yeah. reference and that, uh, that kind of made me tear up a little bit. I was like, Oh yeah, mm -hmm. that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah. And, and I think that the, there, I, I sort of vacillate between exhaustion and enthusiasm because there are, mm -hmm. there are months where I'm just like, I'm so sick of dealing with this trauma that comes up in me of having to like work to be embodied and having to do the work daily and do the affirmations and look at myself in the mirror and like just do all of these things like I'm just tired being emotionally aware and in my body and paying attention to it is exhausting and mm -hmm. it makes me tired and then there are the months where I'm all about it and I'm Right. And it, it is such important. We joke about this all the time that like, it was way easier when everybody just told us what to do and how to be in the world. And we're like, okay, totally. cool. <laughs> like, great. I know what I believe. It's fine. Don't ask questions. Do your thing. Cool. Uh, and you know, the, the, uh, the, the, the two edged sword of enlightenment quote unquote is, you know, you get to choose who you are in the world and you get to be responsible for choosing yes. who you are in the world. <laughs> right. And woof. Right. But, um, but yeah, it's just, it's long, it's long work. And I think for a lot of us who grew up with this, it, it, it will be endless work. It will always be something that we're unpacking and discovering. And you find new places where you're still locked up that you didn't know were there until you get to them. And then you've got to go through the whole thing again. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that there's something really, I don't know. I think all of this rambling is just to say, like, for those of you who are in that space where it's just exhausting, endless, long work carry on champions, you know, mm -hmm. like I just, mm -hmm. I see how it's just hard and like you deserve a fucking round of applause yeah. for staying in the game on this and for yeah. working on all of this stuff and unpacking it and pursuing right. it. It's magical, important, self-liberating work. Mm -hmm. Here, here. Gold stars, everyone. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this has been your gold star for the day. <laughs> Okay, Matthias, I want to be respectful of your time, and yes, I know yes. uh, we're coming up on a limit, but what what is it that's, what are you doing in the world right now that you're excited about, that you want to point people toward? Where can they find you? Where's the best place to order your book? Because obviously we mm. all need it <laughs> immediately. <laughs> uh, so where, where, where shall we send the people to find you? Yeah, so I uh, am across the internet at Matthias Roberts. Uh, so Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all those places. Uh, my name's spelled with two T's. Some people mess that up. Um, so Matthias Roberts. And then my book, you can, you can get it wherever you buy books. I'm pointing people towards bookshop.org right now. Okay. Uh, it's a website that supports local bookstores, but with the convenience of the kind of big online stores. So you still get it quickly. Uh, but your money is actually going into the pockets of, of local and independent bookstores. Uh, so that's a really cool way to, to buy the book. Yeah. Love it. Uh, and then my podcast, Queerology. Uh, wherever you listen to podcasts, <laughs> you can find it. Well, so. the links are in the show notes right now, folks. So go check the show notes and click and follow, do all the things. Um, can we, uh, just as a kind of a closing note, uh, Matthias, just is there anything 
in your spiritual practice now today that that you feel like is a just a, a thing that's helpful to you that might be helpful to others or just like a piece of wisdom that you've um, mm. experienced as you have kind of come to get to know yourself and God on your own terms mm-hmm. two can, can I do two of course is that, is that no, allowed sorry okay. just one uh, one one, <laughs> one that's that is an actual practice that I have found just incredibly helpful is is uh, yoga nidra it's a it's a practice that walks you through uh you lay still the entire time and you walk through bringing attention to different parts of your body um bringing conscious attention to different parts of your body it's a really profound practice uh that's just energizing and good uh so so that's that is a practice another thing that i'm that i'm kind of working on getting into and i don't know if it's necessarily something that i like i can work on but this sense of knowing myself as beloved mm. uh as as one who is loved mm. no matter what uh i think that's going to be the work of a lifetime but it's also one that i'm kind of consciously trying to to do more now is, is to turn towards the sense of, of knowing myself as as beloved mm. I love that. um that's yeah, some good so, so both that's good us. shit yep <laughs> i love it Thank you so much uh, for your time and for uh, all your wisdom that you've shared with us and for coming on a show called Heathen. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. This has been a blast. Yeah. <laughs> so good to talk to you. And, you know, we'll be in touch. We love everything that you do. And so we'll be, Sweet, we'll be following along. Absolutely.